Hey now, we are getting over, and I am the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, here to lead you through these hard times, with another WWE edition of your favorite professional wrestling podcast. We are not that far removed from WWE WrestleMania Backlash, but nevertheless, the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, and vintage Chris Vanini have returned once again to break down everything that's happened over the last week, not counting the pay-per-view from the world of WWE. We're talking SmackDown, we're talking Raw, we're talking news from outside of the ring, and we're going to look ahead briefly to WWE's next pay-per-view, Hell in a Cell, which was just recently announced for June. But since you are listening to this podcast, my hope is that you've already heard our instant analysis for WWE WrestleMania Backlash that we published Sunday night as soon as that show went off the air. If for some reason you didn't, if you missed the episode, you didn't check the feed, hit pause on this show right now, go back, and be sure to listen to our WrestleMania Backlash instant analysis podcast not only is it a great show because it's an instant analysis but i think we did a spectacular job breaking that show down so i do want to make sure that everyone listens to that before they listen to this episode but most of you have already listened to that based on our normal uh listenership so for those of you who are through wrestlemania backlash and ready to talk other things in the world of wwe welcome to this episode before we get down and dirty into all of that work, we got to take care of a little business because on the Getting Over Wrestling podcast, you know it is always all about the five. It's all about the five. But Silver King, what does that mean exactly? Stop being marks for yourselves and go back to being a mark for me. It means going back to being marks for the Silver King for Vintage, heading on over to Apple Podcasts and dropping a five-star rating with a review to let people know how much you love the show and what you like best about the show. Be sure to leave the review in addition to the rating. We got to get those numbers up. We're doing well in the Apple podcast rankings for a wrestling show, but we we go back and forth and it's because there's not a consistent uh, swath of ratings and reviews coming in every single week. So there's plenty of you who have not yet left a review or a rating please make sure you go ahead and do it because on this program, it is all about the five. It's also all about following us on Twitter at Getting Overcast. We talk about all four major American shows live while they're on the air each week. We talk about wrestling news all week. And of course, we provide episode releases right on our Twitter account, which is at Getting Overcast. Once again, at Getting Overcast. Okay, the business is out of the way. It's time to talk about WWE. So I'm going to welcome in vintage Chris Vanini. Chris, I felt like between our last show and our instant analysis, it felt to me like two weeks went by. And I don't know why that is. Maybe we just had such a long period of time where we were doing extra episodes because it was WrestleMania season. But I felt like refreshed. And I was like, oh man, I'm really amped up and I have a ton of energy to do this instant analysis. But today's show, it's not that I'm not energized or not excited to do it. It's just, we've done this for the entirety of this podcast existence. There's a pay-per-view on Sunday. We do an instant analysis. Raw ends. We do another WWE show on Tuesday. For some reason, there's not as much juice to me today. And I don't necessarily think it was because Raw was bad on Monday night. It just didn't really excite me. Does that make sense? 
Yeah, we we were talking off air about what happened on SmackDown to to recap because it feels like it was weeks ago. The most recent SmackDown. I don't know why the the weekend felt like it took a really long time. It feels like it's been forever since we actually saw SmackDown. So I needed to refresh my memory on what exactly happened. And then Raw was fine. I, I think there's more interest coming out of it than what actually happened in it that we'll get into. But uh, yeah, I, I feel like it was a busy weekend for both of us. And now um, now we're kind of recharging as we get into this week. Yeah, Raw was interesting because it was simultaneously repetitive while slightly fresh. It's, it's like they took a quarter of the show and freshened it up and the rest of it was just a repeat of what we've been getting. And I don't necessarily mean repeat by direct match that we've already seen, but just storylines that are stale and you don't really feel like much is happening that aren't really that interesting. And I think it's largely because of the way they booked. They don't have certain tiers of people on that show. And we'll get to it a little bit later, but like the singles mid card picture right now, it's very weak on raw because the guys that were in it, They've basically, they gave Sheamus the title. Riddle's now in a tag team. And everyone else hadn't been on television for about two months. So now they're simultaneously trying to build up Humberto Carrillo and Ricochet and hopefully soon Mustafa Ali and some of these guys, but none of them are credible because they haven't been on TV and they've jobbed them out largely for the best, better part of the last year. So when you don't have a strong mid card, it's difficult to latch on to the rest of your show. WWE on Monday night largely got by with different stories involving people who are currently linked up as tag teams. And you do wonder how that's going to end up transpiring as we get over the next five weeks through Hell in a Cell. Because as much as WrestleMania Backlash felt like a B-level pay-per-view, I have a feeling Hell in a Cell is going to feel the same way. And WWE is really just trying to get through the next five weeks before they start big time storylines for the return of fans, which we presume will be in July into August for SummerSlam. Right. And I think the other thing about this episode of the podcast is we don't, we're not actually going to be talking about the best thing in wrestling. And that's Roman Reigns, the big dog, the tribal chief, the head of the table, because we talked about that on the instant analysis yesterday. So go listen to that if you haven't yet. So yeah, these, 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 these raw after pay-per-view shows are always a bit weird because we got to, Focus mostly on Raw and not the best parts of SmackDown because we already did. Right. I mean, they just need to be stronger, too, overall. Yeah. Like the, the show after a major pay-per-view, and I know this wasn't a major pay-per-view, uh, but that that show needs to be stronger. And it's always Raw. It's always SmackDown yeah. can be your A show, your number one show, but it is not the first taste of product that you get after a pay-per-view. That's always going to be Raw as long as it remains on Monday nights, which probably will be forever. So the Raws just need to be stronger in general. This one was not as bad as some that we've got. And in fact, I think the last three weeks of Raw is certainly a huge improvement from the three weeks prior and probably the two months prior. But just because it's an improvement doesn't necessarily mean it's good or great, which is largely what we get from SmackDown every week. So that's your preview. Now, you know what we do to open this show. We slide right into the main event. And we do actually have a co-main event for today's show. Not the strongest co-main event that we've ever had, but a co-main event nonetheless. But we're going to start on Raw with the WWE champion, the almighty Bobby Lashley, celebrating his WWE title 
retention at WrestleMania Backlash. That's a lot of words to describe Bobby Lashley retaining his title. Uh, Lashley made his way to the ring to open the show, accompanied by five women, as MVP sung his praises for retaining the title. MVP said Lashley was issuing an open challenge I wrote down for his WWE title, Ah. uh, which was contrary to a social media video they published Monday where MVP actively convinced Lashley while he was on a treadmill to stop working out and take the day off. Yet they decided to do an open challenge on the show, which just didn't make sense to me. Uh, Drew McIntyre answered that open challenge, but then MVP clarified it was open to anyone but him and Braun Strowman, which made sense. And I'm glad that they did that. Drew slugged Lashley and MVP held Lashley back from attacking Drew. Then three heels over the course of the show, Sheamus, and for some reason, T-Bar and Mace threatened Lashley at various points. And then both Damian Priest and Shelton Benjamin also called him out ahead of the main event as, hey, we might answer answer your open challenge. It was clear it would not be one of those guys. And all in all, I will say that moving into the main event, it did create some intrigue. Yeah, no, absolutely. I I mean, that was the with Raw, you want a through line. You want a story going on throughout the three hours because it can be a drag if there's not something going on. And that was it. It was all these people saying they were going to answer the open challenge. And yeah, you knew probably some of them weren't going to do it, but it had me interested. I said, I'm I'm sticking around. I want to see how this show ends. And I'm curious how they're going to pick whoever answers it and who it's going to be. So, uh, yeah, it was it was pretty basic stuff to set something up for later. And it had it kept my interest as the show went on. That does go back to the lacking mid card stuff I was talking about, because generally those promos would have all been cut by mid carders who are not champions. Instead, listen to those names again. Sheamus, who had just competed. T-Bar and Mace, who are a tag team that who we ended up seeing later, but not involved with Lashley at all, even though they basically promised they were going to attack Lashley. Shelton Benjamin, who's nowhere near a mid-carder right now, and Damian Priest, who also had come out of a match that we'll talk about later. So that's who they had. They didn't. They don't have a strong mid-card right now on Raw, which is the exact opposite of SmackDown, which is not only doing this week a fatal four-way for the Intercontinental title with four people, all of whom could legitimately be champion, but they have like four other or five other singles mid-carders on that show, and all of them could work into that mid-card title picture. Meanwhile, on Raw, you just don't have that right now. You have maybe two guys that are legitimately established, and it's a three-hour show. That's a major problem. And really, honestly, it's actually the same thing for the women's championship, women's division as well, although, based on what we'll talk about later, a couple people seem to have just recently opened up. Anyway, as we progress on in the show, we end up getting an interesting singles match on the show that pertains to the main event. Uh, So probably a little bit of a spoiler alert for anyone who did not watch Raw and counts on us for the recaps. But we did have Kofi Kingston face Randy Orton in a singles match. Backstage, Riddle tricked Orton and New Day into meeting all together, like Parent Trap style, uh, after last week's RKOs to the New Day. Riddle suggested Orton apologize. Orton obviously refused. And Kofi said he was a reptile dysfunction, which I thought was pretty funny. As Orton remained hysterically disappointed with Riddle and just can't really stand him, but realizes, hey, maybe he's a good tag team partner. As far as the match goes, Kofi got most of the offense early, re-injured Orton's shoulder after Orton hit a power slam. Xavier Woods distracted him with the trombone, and Kofi rolled him up 
for the win. So Xavier Woods has now distracted two people with a trombone, and that's very heelish. I'm not saying that it's a trope where they are suddenly heels, but it is one largely used by heels to win matches. Hey, we saw MVP do almost the exact same thing, sans trombone, obviously, just yelling, at WrestleMania. But nevertheless, Kofi rolls up Orton for the win. Orton was fuming, and then Riddle got pissed at Woods for getting involved, so he shoved Woods and followed Orton backstage. I really liked this match. I liked the storytelling between all four of them, Chris, and I loved that Riddle had to choose his teammate to make sure he had his back above just being friends with the New Day. It's a really good way to develop them as a tweener team where they can play heel, they can play face, instead of just being pure baby faces. Yeah, well, it's almost like it's like the face slash heel tag team or face tweener tag team. And it it, it makes for interesting dynamics. I, I enjoyed it. I mean, every time there's a Riddle Orton backstage bit, you can just you can tell Riddle's trying to crack Orton and he's really trying not to smile or laugh. It's just the, the two of them together. You just get that feeling every time Randy comes out. Riddle singing Randy Orton's song during his intro, right. doing his pose and all this stuff. Really funny stuff. I like the confrontation backstage that set this all up. It made sense. Uh, it, it was just it was just guys in a conf- confrontation and they wanted to fight it out. Like it didn't have to be more than that. It didn't have to be hokey or something like that. It just, it worked. It all set this up, uh, I thought pretty well. And then, yeah, trombone distract win. Is that a heel thing? Yeah, but the New Day does it all the time, so it kind of not not really in that way where it's that blatant. I mean, he plays no, the but but he they're but. often distracting and doing stuff and stuff like that. So it's it, it wasn't that out of character for them. I just well, in general don't like distraction roll up finishes pretty much ever. But well, that's the that's the biggest key, and that's yeah. what I'm going to get to in a minute. Yeah. But the the reason why I was okay with it here is because look, Orton RKO'd them post match last week. So yeah. yeah, they had every reason to want to get back up on him. Like of course they did. I'm just saying in general, my hope is that this is just not a new New Day thing where they win every match because every singles match or tag team match or whatever the case because Xavier Woods uses his trombone. I don't want it to be a trope that gets stuck on them, which in WWE and specifically on Raw, that is known to happen. So let's talk about the main event. Bobby Lashley came out for an open challenge. I believe commentary said it was for the WWE title. I know the referee held up the WWE championship, but it was an open challenge. And I had true hope going into this, setting myself up for disappointment a little bit, that Keith Lee would be the one to answer the challenge because he had just tweeted last week that he had a medical check. So I was thinking, wow, they're saving this for the main event. This is going to be really big. Not necessarily like earth shattering, I didn't expect Steve Austin to come out or anything like that, but I did think it would be a return or someone changing brands. I did not think it would be Daniel Bryan, but potentially because he had left SmackDown, that would, you know, is a potential option. Instead, Kofi Kingston comes out with Xavier Woods, and I was a little disappointed in the moment, but that's unfair because Kofi answering was a nice surprise. I'm more concerned about what that may mean for Keith Lee if he's not cleared still, because this would have otherwise been a great opportunity to re-debut Keith Lee. But I will digress and kind of get to the match itself. 
Kofi not being forgotten about as a legitimate person who can challenge for a main event title is great. And MVP then grabbed the microphone after all this happened and said that they never promised the match would be for the championship. Now that's technically true and WWE proved it to us, which I really liked by going back to MVP's opening promo of the show and showing he never actually said it was for the WWE title. But nevertheless, it certainly felt like WWE did a bait and switch for three hours. I wouldn't have cared about the bait and switch because that's typical heel shit and it's typical WWE stuff. I wouldn't have cared if they had not been doing the exact same angle for the last month with Sheamus, where he does open challenges, but they're not for the title. So for that reason, I felt it was not only insanely repetitive, but completely unfair to me and to you as a viewer that you're waiting around three hours, you think you're going to get a WWE championship match, and then they don't give it to you just like they haven't given you United States championship matches for the better part of a month. Yeah. I, I, I wanted to turn off my TV <laughs> when this happened. When, when they said it wasn't a title match and then they started the match, and I'm like, oh, we're just doing this? Like, you built this up for three hours and you're just going to say nah and then just go forward? I, I almost turned off the TV. I was so upset and angry about this. Like, like it, it's true and they did get one over on me. Yeah, but that's not the kind of surprise I want. That's not, that's not the kind of trick I want to be. So Kofi comes out. I thought it was interesting. I was like, oh, hey, it's interesting. We'll see where it goes. But then when they say non-title match and then ring the bell and we're going, I'm like, what the hell is this? I was I was not happy. I imagine a lot of people who were watching were not happy. You can't build that up for three hours and then just pull the pull the rug out and say, now nah, we're not doing it. And then just continue to move forward like that was man that I, I would imagine a lot of people were really, really upset about that. It's just unnecessary to do it that way. Yeah. Like, <laughs> all you need, like and I'm not saying they should have promoted it as an open challenge, non-title but hey, if you beat the champion, you can become the number one contender because that's really not that much better. And ultimately, I understand why it was booked this way, but it was legitimately a three-hour bait and switch. And again, they've been running the storyline with Sheamus. He does it every week. He did it at the pay-per-view one day ago, one you know, 24 hours earlier at the, on the kickoff show, he did it again. He's like, I'm not a sap. I'm going to do an open challenge, but I'm not putting the title on the line. So now you have two champions doing open challenges who won't defend their titles. Sheamus is the newly crowned United States champion. And I'm not saying every title needs to get defended every month or every other week on TV, because I think WWE does that way too much. But Sheamus hasn't even defended the title once in like the five weeks he's had it. And now we have Lashley, not that he needed to defend on this night, but doing an open challenge and also not defending the title. So you're just bastardizing the concept of the open challenge yeah. and you're bastardizing Seamus' storyline by having Lashley do the same thing. But yeah. okay, let's move on and get to that because that was the bad part of it. I actually do think there was a good part of it as well. So the match began, bell rang, Kofi went off. He was going crazy, attacking Lashley, blitzing him outside the ring. He got a ton of offense in and then Woods distracted Lashley with the trombone like he did earlier to Orton. Lashley countered an SOS into a dominator, which was really cool. And Woods got ejected for helping Kofi. But as he was getting ejected, MVP used the referee being distracted as an opportunity to use his cane on Kofi. But instead, Drew McIntyre ran in, grabbed the cane away from MVP, jammed it into Lashley's throat, 
and Kofi rolled up the WWE champion for the second time in one night uh, for a victory, meaning a roll up for the second time in one night. So obviously that is why it was a non-title match. And it's clear the entire goal of Raw was to put Kofi Kingston back into the main event, presumably as Lashley's in-between challenger for Hell in a Cell, because they basically, this goes to the point I was making earlier, they have no one else elevated enough besides maybe maybe Damian Priest to move up and be a title challenger. And Priest is a potential US title challenger, not a main event title challenger right now. I love that Kofi Kingston is back in this spot, but I just wish that given the fact that they had three hours, they put him over a little bit stronger in one of the matches. Instead of two roll-ups in one night, why couldn't he have used a pinning combination or a crucifix or something like that? Or why not just let him, because Orton was distracted, hit Trouble in Paradise and beat Orton clean for Christ's sakes? He did beat the WWE champion. And that's great. It was Lashley's first pinfall loss in four months. So this was strong in concept, but it was really unspectacular in execution, despite being entertaining during the match and, and throughout the show. My my biggest thing is okay. First, yes, love that Kofi's in this. He's a former. Right, it's great. He's, he's a former world champ. If if you had to pick somebody to be the next challenger for Bobby Lashley, Kofi's a great choice. I love it. But if this was the plan, if if the plan was just to get to Kofi. Why not just do a tournament on this episode of Raw? What, what, why do we have to do this open challenge that turns into a bait and switch that you get upset about as a viewer? And then you have two roll-up finishes where Kofi doesn't look all that strong for doing it and he needed help in both ones to win. Like, just do a tournament, have Kofi win, look strong, look great, and then he's, I'm, I'm coming for you, Lashley. And then, like, you're excited about it. And Instead, it's, like, goofy roll-up stuff, and it's just, like, well, I'll tell I you know. why. Like, I get, yeah, I'll well, tell you well, why. Yeah, why. And then you can continue. It's for the reasons I've been, I've said it like four times on the show. They don't have a strong mid card. They don't have people who can be number one contenders right now. You, you clearly you, you, don't want, you clearly yeah. don't want to go back to Braun or Drew. Yeah. So who are you put? You're going to put Sheamus and Damian Priest and John Morrison and Kofi? Yeah, I, I I think you can have MVP convince Adam Pierce that, that Drew and Braun don't get to be in it because they just had a title match. You put everybody else in it. You have Orton and Kofi in the championship. That's four dudes, and, though. I mean, you know, I don't know. I, I, I didn't no, mind it doesn't, the have to be, it doesn't have to be the whole show. I mean, you can just pick four guys. Is is Jeff Hardy still on Raw, I think? I mean, he's a former world champ. Just, yeah. like, throw him in there. Like, do what you did for Elimination Chamber when you when you picked <laughs> a bunch of world champs and just put him in an right. Elimination Chamber. You can do a tournament here. I, I just... They never do tournaments. They never do number one contender matches. And it feels like it's such an easy way to create. It's so stakes. easy. It's such an easy way to create stakes and create a story. But instead, they just always fall back to well, distraction, roll up, someone pin the champion and you get a title match. That's how well, like 90 percent of these title feuds go. But before you continue, I will say one thing. Th- this is a very rare situation where WWE has five weeks before the next pay-per-view. So just because what happened Monday night happened doesn't mean we're going to come back next Monday and Kofi is going to, quote unquote, be the number one contender. They could still put him through. I don't mean to say a gauntlet in terms of like a gauntlet match, but they could still put him through a gauntlet of you need to beat this person. You need to um, there's going to be a a three match tournament. There's going to be a fatal four way number one contendership in the main event next week. There's still scenarios in which it could play out the way you want it to. 
just because he pinned the champion d- doesn't necessarily mean you get a title match. That is something that WWE frequently does. But because they're heels as champions, there are ways to kind of get around that. But nevertheless, the main point I was making, and you seem to agree as well, is if you're going to do it within one episode this way and you want to book it this way, you if you want to have him roll up the champion, I'm okay with that because shit happens and you don't want the champion to get beat strong. I understand that. But you do not need to have him roll up Randy Orton. Yeah. Allow him to hit his finisher on Randy Orton. Kofi Kingston, two years ago when he was WWE champion, beat Randy Orton, defended his title like three times against him. We know he's capable of doing it. And then if he does beat Orton clean, or even with that distraction factoring in, that allows a story for later on in the year or whatever that Orton just can't seem to get over Kofi. Just like Brock Lesnar can't seem to beat Seth Rollins. And then eventually, maybe you have that happen. So there's a million different ways to book it. But no matter what, you got to be better than two roll-ups in one night. Yeah, uh, like the end result, like we're, we're cool with. It's just like working backwards, it was just strange decision-making that didn't need to happen. And it's a lot of just putting yourself in positions you don't need to be in. And in general, I would just like to see more tournaments and number one contenders and like people earn their spot. And we always just kind of get fluky people fumbling their way into title shots. And it's annoying. But I do think obviously the end result is we're both excited that Kofi Kingston has been elevated into this position again. And I, I don't think the expectation of Keith Lee from me was unfair, but because I'm putting it in context of, I wasn't disappointed that it wasn't him. I was disappointed for him that it wasn't him. I'm worried about him. Yeah. And another point on this, actually, whole big point I forgot to bring up. How did they determine who got to do the challenge? They they, they spent the whole show saying, I'm going to accept the open challenge. I'm going to accept the open challenge. No, they said I may. They were all saying I may accept. Okay, but but so nobody, like everybody presuming it's a title shot, nobody decided to, only Kofi Kingston said, I'll do it. Like, does Adam Pierce pick somebody backstage? I just, I would have, the whole idea was that someone's going to get it and they didn't give us the process to how that person was determined. They just yeah, pick somebody. I, I think that's fair, but that's a, a standard operating procedure. With it is, challenges. and it's a problem. <laughs> like, yeah, I mean, kind of. I mean, I'm, I'm willing, look, there's things I'm willing to suspend my disbelief for, and that's not even really, look, they have an authority figure. They have two backstage. The idea of Kofi kind of, Winning his match, being juiced because he just beat Orton, going to Pierce, say, I want this match. Yeah. And Pierce being like, well, you did just beat Orton. Yeah. It's not that far fetched. I mean, no, it's pretty. Yeah. And just give me that, though. Show, like, show him, because I, like, why didn't Shelton Benjamin get in? Why didn't Sheamus get in? They said they were going to, they were thinking about doing it. What, like, why did they not do it? Because maybe moving. they didn't challenge at all. I just give me the answer. Like, yeah, show maybe. me a b- bunch of people backstage saying, I want it, I want it. Adam Pierce says, Kofi, you beat Orton, you get it. And then we go, I, I don't know. I like just, that you have a problem with something I didn't have a problem with for, for a change. It's very that's very rare on this show that yeah. you dislike something I didn't. So I that's, just, that's I just that was the whole story. The whole story was who's going to get it, and then they didn't give us the how. They just gave us the result. And so yeah. it's it's a larger problem. This happens a lot. I know they do a lot of open challenges, but just another thing I wanted to say because it was strange to leave out. A couple more things coming out of this storyline or adjacent to this storyline. Talk about before we move on. Uh, first, I rarely watch Raw Talk and I almost never watch it live, but I happened to see it. And this week it was absolutely hysterical. I tweeted about it. Kofi and Woods were going absolutely wild in the final segment of the show, cutting promos, humping the set. Kofi jumped on the table. They were going nuts. And WWE 
kept trying to cut him off to actually end <laughs> Raw Talk. It's only supposed to go 26 minutes, 30 minutes, whatever. But he wouldn't let them. He kept cutting a promo, staring into the screen. And it was way too funny for them to actually end. You had Xavier Woods uh, name dropping Lafemme Nikita, saying that like, oh, they're trying to take us off the air like Lafemme Nikita or something like that. Um, it was truly great. And if you have not seen it, I suggest loading it up on Peacock. Just fast forward through the first two interviews. Go to the final segment. It's truly funny. Yeah, and one other thing on that. Uh, Kofi makes a comment to R-Truth about his seat being lower than R-Truth's seat when he came out and R- as a way for R-Truth to try to get over on him or something like that. And that popped R-Truth, and he starts laughing and smiling, and you can tell that's that's kind of cracking and breaking character uh, that, that that Kofi pointed that out, and, and R-Truth thought it was pretty funny. Really hilarious segment. We, we, we love Kofi. We love Xavier. Glad that they're in this spot. Uh, and, and Raw Talk was definitely th- that last bit Definitely worth going back and watching. Yeah, I agree with that. Now, coming out of this, you know, we do need to ask, what are they going to do with Drew McIntyre and Braun Strowman with four more weeks until Hell in a Cell and then two months until we presume unannounced money in the bank? It's easy for them to go head to head at this pay-per-view if they want to book it that way. I think that's something that could happen. Another option is to give Strowman a break while McIntyre starts another feud. Now, interestingly enough, heavyweight champion, heavyweight boxing champion, Tyson Fury was backstage at WrestleMania Backlash, and he and Drew McIntyre have been jawing this entire pandemic. It seems like they were supposed to fight in Saudi Arabia at one of the Blood Money in the Sand shows. Obviously, those did not happen due to the pandemic. They're still going back and forth. Now, while I could see them quickly making that happen for Hell in a Cell, Fury is in the midst of promotion for what was scheduled to be an Anthony Joshua fight in Saudi Arabia, coincidentally enough, that looks like it's actually going to get delayed because an arbitrator ruled he owes Deontay Wilder a rematch first for the heavyweight title. So I'm not exactly sure what they're going to do with all of these guys. It feels to me like one of those scenarios where back in the day in like the Attitude Era, uh, Austin helped Mankind win a number one contender match. And then Austin had his back for weeks. And the feud was more about Austin and Triple H than it was about Mankind and Triple H, despite Mankind being the number one contender. So I have a sneaking suspicion that that's basically what's going to happen here, where Drew's going to be like the third member of New Day for about a month. Uh, Kofi will eventually face Lashley at Hell in a Cell lose. And then Drew will get propped up into being his challenger for the next pay-per-view, which we, again, we presume is money in the bank. That's what I think is mostly going to happen. As long as it's not another four weeks of Drew and Braun against Mason T-Bar, I think no matter what they do, it'll be okay. But that's what my guess is. I'm wondering if you think along the same lines or if you have another idea. Yeah, I don't know. The the the, the Joshua news, I wasn't sure how exactly that would all fit in or not. I, I had not actually noticed Tyson Fury and, and Drew going back and forth uh, quite a bit. So it's possible, but I, I imagine the plan will be some sort of brawn stuff. He wasn't on this show. I don't, I don't think I don't remember him. No. So uh, I, I am, I, I'm guessing they'll get to Braun drew. It seems natural. It's the only other kind of fit at this point, but they do have a, a bit of time here to work on something else. And if it was Tyson Fury, I figured they're going to spend a lot of time building that up like they did before. And by the way, I was a little disappointed for the first time, maybe ever not to see Braun because he was the MVP of that, Raw championship, uh, the WWE championship match for me. I mean, McIntyre and Lashley were both very good, 
But Braun is the one who exceeded expectations in almost every way. Now I can see yep. the guy banged up potentially, 344 pounds, like big ass dude. And he did a lot, went through a lot. So I can see him not wanting to be on TV, get some time off, whatever the case might be. But Braun is a guy who I think could really fix the mid-card situation right now because we're talking about a lack of mid-carders and I want Sheamus to defend the title against a number of people and get a couple of retentions. But three or four months down the line, when you do want to take the title off Sheamus, I've long said that it should be Damian Priest who actually does it. If for some reason they don't want to do it or if they want to elevate Priest into being another challenger for Lashley in the interim, Braun would be a very good person to take the title off Sheamus allow him to keep looking strong and kind of reset that mid-card division where you need a lot of people to go up against Braun and eventually he puts someone over in a major way. So I do think that would work, at least for me. Would you like to see him in that mid-card picture? Yeah, I I, I think so. I, I think you got to... You got to have these guys in new situations. We've just we've seen them with the same guys way too many times. And uh, I, I know Sheamus has kind of been involved in that as well. But just, I don't know, freshen something up, get them away from Bobby Lashley and which they seem to be doing. Just get like just throw me throw him somewhere else. We threw Randy Orton from The Fiend into Matt Riddle. It felt fresh. It feels new. It's different. It's it, it's it's something. So just give me something so I feel like something's happening. And yeah. then for a while it just feels like there's not much happening with them. Now the second part of our main event, believe it or not, is actually going to be the women's tag team championships. And it's mostly because a lot of stuff happened across two shows. So there's a lot to talk about. It is deserving of a main event spot. We had Nia Jax and Shayna Baszler on SmackDown defend their titles against Natalia and Tamina. Reginald got tossed early and Jax hit Tamina with a Samoan drop into the barricade again. Natalia nailed Baszler with a German suplex at ringside, but Jax Samoan dropped her back inside the ring as the illegal woman. That allowed Tamina to fly off the top rope with the superfly splash to pin her cousin and win the Women's Tag Team Championships. Shockingly, this is the first women's title of Tamina's 11-year WWE career. And by the way, just the third of Natalia's 13-year WWE career. I wish WWE had played into that for Tamina more, that it's her first ever title. She won the 24-7 title. No one cares about that. (laughs) By the way, Tamina is 43 years old, and all four women in this match were over 35, which is really notable because for a long time we talked about WWE aging women out of their roster. Well, they had four people in title matches across two shows over 35. Tamina has come back, by the way, from multiple knee surgeries over her career, never retired. I just thought this was a really sweet moment for her. You could tell how much it meant to her. They both cut a passionate promo in the ring. They gave them pyro as a celebration. Tamina was really emotional. You really can't blame her. I thought it was honestly great. Sure, the match was just okay. But we've been saying for months how badly the titles needed to change hands. And I always get sentimental when Natalia or Tamina, when something nice happens to them. You'll remember Tamina had that one month feud with Bailey where you thought like, this is actually pretty good. And Tamina Mm -hmm. could actually win the title here. So I always kind of like to see them, even though they're not the best wrestlers on the roster. But for them to win a title together, it's a pretty special moment. It probably should have been on pay-per-view or even at WrestleMania. But nevertheless... It was really nice. Yeah, I mean, first off, something happened, and that's always important. We had a title change finally after months of <laughs> months of thinking it was going to happen. It finally happened. So big plus on that. 
the story they've told, the 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 history with Tamina and, and Natalia has been great. The, the the pyro, the promos, all that stuff. They made it feel like a big deal. Big plus on that. Um I wish, like you said, this was at the pay-per-view. This was not like SmackDown, they've been like keeping Intercontinental Championship matches for SmackDown main events sometimes. But this wasn't the main event of SmackDown. I think it was the second match of the show or second segment of the show, I think. So like it's not like the show was built around this happening. You could have done this on the pay-per-view to make it feel like a bigger deal, I guess. Although you could argue that on Fox, more people are actually watching. So that's another deal. But strange decision on that, considering it wasn't built up as like the biggest thing. And then, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, to have them be so over at WrestleMania and not change the titles on that show. Yeah, it was and set then, up to do it there. Right, and then to do it the day before the pay-per-view, two days before the pay-per-view, WrestleMania backlash. It's like, well, that is a backlash match. That's actually one that's somewhat of a rematch from the pay-per-view. Why not put it on the show? Like, yeah. it just didn't really make sense. I know they want big matches for SmackDown. I know that's why the Fatal 4-Way IC title match is this Friday as opposed to it being on the pay-per-view. I get that. They want to keep Fox happy. But I don't know. For Tamina, you're going to give her this moment. I put it on a pay-per-view. Yeah, no, me too. Exactly. Yeah. Or, or WrestleMania. Like they would have gotten a big cheer if they had won that, you know, like huge people, people yeah. were into that uh, match quite a bit. So just strange of that. And then, yeah, just happy for the two of them and the four of them. Like you mentioned for for uh, women who are, I guess, just older relative to the rest of the roster. It was great to see. I, I mean, like this whole thing kind of started way back. I don't remember exactly when it was a few months back. When I, th- I think WWE on Fox on Twitter put out a one of those like build your team one dollar to five dollar right bits right and I think Natalia was like at the bottom and out of the word was that she was really upset about it kind of and, and, and that ever since then she's actually gotten quite a push out of it and it's been good to see new people involved in, in going for this I know we've been complaining for a while about these tag team deals but. Natalia and Tamina have turned into a, a really enjoyable tag team. So really happy for them. They have. And by them winning the title, it allows me to believe that one of the other women's tag teams, the other four women's tag teams, all of whom we want to win the titles, you know, more than Natalia and Tamina because they're younger women who haven't ever had the opportunity to be featured in their careers yet. And I'm not saying that Tamina doesn't deserve that opportunity, but now they can act as a good transitional champion where you can finally put over the Riot Squad or lesser Naomi and Lana or more Mandy Rose and Dana Brooke, right? These all, these three teams in particular that deserve to get such opportunities, but just haven't been able to get them because WWE didn't believe any of them should beat Nia Jax and Shayna Baszler. So I do like that. And I also like that it opens up Nia Jax and Shayna Baszler back into the singles division yes, on Raw, finally. which despite me liking them as a tag team and me too. that exceeding my expectations, they both were able to show personality. Nia Jax improved in the ring as well during this team. Um, the, it, it compromised Asuka's Raw Women's Championship reign because she had no one to defend against because they made him a tag team. So it refreshes hopefully Raw's women's division and it refreshes the tag team picture, which badly has needed it. That said, what was not refreshing was 72 hours after this title change. We got an exact rematch on Raw with Natalia and Tamina defending their newly won titles against Jax and Baszler. The champions started Raw on Alexa's playground with it being used like a talk show. 
Why would they ever agree to that? I have no freaking idea. Uh, but in kayfabe, I'm talking. Uh, but Tamina refused to play along with Bliss, who said it was okay because Lily liked her, and they left. Then before the match, the other Raw women's teams complained about the rematch to Adam Pearce and Sonya Deville, and the authority figures said they would decide on new challengers next week. But I don't really want them to just pick new challengers. I want them to even do a cross-brand triple threat match or something for a number one contendership. You got to do something where the Riot Squad and other people on SmackDown factor in. I hate when they just segregate it to one brand or the other. That never really makes sense to me. But okay, then we got the match. Baszler had the Kirafuda clutch on Tamina like two minutes into the match when Bliss appeared on stage and set fire off like Kane through one of the ring posts. The champions took advantage with a modified heart attack for the win. Now, I did miss last week on the pod. I completely overlooked it. I didn't realize it happened on Raw. If you remember, we talked about Baszler's knee kind of getting twisted really randomly at the end of the match and leading to them losing last week on Raw. It was Bliss who did it. And it was Bliss who did this as well. So she clearly has a vendetta against Baszler for an unknown reason. Then you had Bliss laughing over the speakers which was really strange and not nearly as good as The Fiend's laugh as the segment ended. This was all, for me, just a bunch of garbage on Raw with the women's tag team title picture, Bliss, all this. First of all, the match didn't get any time, and the champions should not have needed Bliss to help them retain a title three days after winning it clean from this tag team. I just thought it was bad booking all around, but I don't necessarily expect great booking, even though we should, from the women's tag team division. Yeah, the whole thing was... Weird. It was. I don't understand this Alexa Bliss stuff. I can't like. I guess this was kind of a step forward, but like, just what is going on? Like, it, it feels like we've been doing this for a month now, and they don't know what they're doing with Alexa Bliss. And if you don't know what you're doing, just don't put her on TV and like pretend that something's coming that's not coming. So I, I don't know. This whole thing was just kind of a big whatever for me. It was, but I am happy for Natalia and Tamina. Congratulations to them for being the new women's tag team champions. And I hope that this refreshes the division as much as we can ask for. Honestly, they actually need to probably call a couple of women up and put a couple more tag teams on SmackDown is what they need to do. But okay, that is the main event two-parter. Let's talk about everything else that went down on SmackDown, on Raw, and in WWE over the last week. We'll stay with the women. We had Asuka face Charlotte Flair in a singles match on Raw. Flair invaded that backstage segment I mentioned earlier with the women's tag team champions and demanded a singles match with Ripley for the title because she was not pinned in the triple threat match. Another WWE trope. DeVille said that, hey, beat Asuka first and then we'll worry about that, which was kind of surprising that she just didn't immediately agree to it. Ripley then came in and said she wanted new competition because Flair is yesterday's news. I'm with that as well. (laughs) Uh, Ripley's music hit two minutes into the match. Asuka had a big run, countered natural selection, got a number of near falls, including two close submissions before the Asuka lock was broken into the ropes. Flair threw Asuka into the announce table and stared down Ripley, which created some distraction, but the finish was clean with Asuka countering the figure eight into a small package for the surprising win over Flair, even though Asuka beating anyone should never be a surprise. Not only did this match get 17 minutes, it completely subverted my expectation and featured some really great wrestling. Flair and Asuka are so damn good together. Them fighting all the time, is it repetitive? Yes, it's repetitive. 
but they almost never disappoint once they actually get in the ring. They didn't advance the story one iota, but for the 17 minutes that the match happened, I was sports entertained. And that's a good thing to get from Raw. Yeah, I, I mean, you know, like I said, I'm always on the like, I just need something happening and I'll be cool with it. And technically not a lot happened here, but the match was good and obviously good enough that I didn't really care about that. Um, love these two together. You Like you just said, they have great chemistry, really fun. It, there was that funny spot where Charlotte goes for the Spanish fly and Asuka grabs the rope to counter. And it looks like Charlotte just does a backflip onto her face. And it's just, it was kind of a funny look. Yeah. And I saw a lot of people wondering if that was like a botch or something. But no, Asuka grabbed the rope to counter. And commentary called it too. Commentary said she countered it. So good catch by them uh, uh, on a little detail like that. I thought commentary was pretty good on this Raw. And it continues to get better. So this was... um. This was this was fun. Didn't really go anywhere after this. I don't really know where it goes from here. But for this episode of Raw, it was a good match. He does keep getting better. And, you know, we'll remember when he debuted, we said give him two months. So let's make the sh- next month's show. So one month from now, the show after Hell in a Cell, we will give our a full evaluation on Adnan Burke. Because that's going to be over two months. Yeah. That'll give him plenty of time. But he has improved week to week. I got to say, the first two weeks were really rough. Every week since, there has been a, a progression, and I do think he deserves a little credit for that. For those of you that care about these things, I gave this match a 3.25, which is a B, just in case you care, keeping track. Uh, we also had Sheamus against Ricochet. Ricochet stole Sheamus' hat and jacket again, just like he did after their match on uh, the kickoff show for the pay-per-view, and finally officially became Rick O'Shea, doing an Irish accent in a <laughs> promo backstage, which really pissed off Sheamus. Ricochet then caught Sheamus attacking on the stage with a drop toehold, but Sheamus quickly got the upper hand when they got into the ring and the match began. Ricochet jumped to the top rope for an avalanche Spanish fly. Then he hit a standing shooting star. They avoided each other's finishers, so Rick splashed Sheamus outside. Ricochet then hit a springboard 540, I think it was, for a 2.8, but Sheamus caught him with a flying knee for what looked like the win, because that's how they finished on the pay-per-view, until Ricochet kicked out at the very last second. But then... Sheamus basically just picked him up and hit a bro kick for the clean win. This probably should have been a situation where Ricochet surprised Sheamus for a win, considering it was a non-title match and he does need someone to feud with. I understand why they maybe didn't do it, considering they had three other roll-up finishes and an inside cradle on one show. You're not going to do that again, but this probably would have been the best spot out of any of them to actually do it. Then you run it back next week for the actual title and let Sheamus retain. It gives Ricochet some rub. That said, Ricochet did get a lot of shine here and at Backlash. I can't say they were all for naught because we're going to have to see what actually happens with him going forward. In the end, what happened? He lost twice in non-title matches. So where does he actually go from here after already not being used for the better part of the year? My hope is that from Ricochet being on screen and putting on two really good matches, I gave this one a 3.25, maybe a 3.5, a B as well, uh, that they their eyes were opened and they said, oh shit, yeah, we have this guy who's one of the most athletically gifted wrestlers in the world. We should use him more. That's my hope coming out of this. But again, just like Asuka and Flair, I was completely sports entertained by this. It was a very good segment. 
Yeah, I mean, I know you're big on Ricochet and always wanted to get him up there every week and because he's good. Can. When, when he's when he's on the TV, you want you want to see him more. But I, I was annoyed at this. I was annoyed by this at first because we basically had a feud built around a hat. And this is going on in the same time. It appears we have a SmackDown feud built around stealing a crown. So they're very, very similar situations. And he just stole the guy's stuff, which is, again, like kind of like the nudie thing. Like this is kind of being a jerk. I don't like why do you, you stole you got his hat and jacket. You gave it back to him. But then you just stole it again the next day. I was, I was like, what is this? But then when we got Rick O'Shea, we finally got the I liked Irish, it, man. We I finally say. got the Irish Rick O'Shea, the jokes we've made for years and years. I really enjoyed that. I enjoyed the match. You know, I don't know where any of this goes again, so we'll just kind of have to wait and see. So I was just kind of I didn't like it at the beginning. I like what came of it. Uh I'd like to see more Ricochet, yes, but he keeps losing and he doesn't have much of a claim to anything right now. Right. Like the thing with Ricochet for me is, do I think he's going to be or do I think I want him to ever be WWE champion, universal champion? No, I don't. And I don't think it's going to happen. But you don't need to be that to have a very, very successful career. And I think that he has proven between backstage promos that he's cut over the last like three or four months, and they've been few and far between, and many of the video promos that he's taped for social media. He is good enough on the mic. He can get it done when it's pre-taped and show some personality to make him work as a mid-carder, as a mid-card champion, as half of a tag team champion, as an upper mid-carder who can challenge for a title in a scenario like Kofi, where you just throw him into a, a one-month program and then you kind of you know move on from him. He has significant talent. They just need to figure out how to use him properly and I have some belief that they eventually will. And the belief that I have is stemming from Apollo Crews. Because Apollo Crews went up to the main roster earlier than we thought he was going to from NXT, and he languished. He was in Titus Worldwide. He basically was unaccomplished and didn't do anything. And then WWE needed a mid-carder at the beginning of the pandemic. And they did a pretty well-booked feud with Andrade. Eventually had this guy win a title as a face, he got over as U.S. champion, and you're thinking, wow, they actually elevated Apollo Crews. And then he loses the title, like two months go by, he gets moved over to SmackDown, and then they elevate him again as a heel with this new gimmick, and it all is really, really working. And they have found a way to utilize this guy that I thought was a really athletic, great wrestler who was going to be dead in the water because he couldn't cut a promo. It's almost a mirror to Ricochet. So I think people who are Ricochet fans like me, we just need to be a little patient. And I believe that patience will eventually pay off. The question is, will it happen on Raw? And I don't know that it'll happen on Raw. It may take him being moved over to SmackDown for it to happen. Yeah, I mean, move anybody over to SmackDown and I'm going to feel better about their chances. Right. <laughs> chances of, of being put in the right direction. So... I don't know. I like Ricochet. I don't spend much time thinking about him because we've seen some uh, until they give me a reason to believe in him. I'm not going to, but I, I enjoy him while he's when he's on my TV. Since I mentioned Apollo Crews, we'll move over to him briefly. We'll talk about the mid card picture over on SmackDown. There was a weird segment Friday where Commander Aziz was standing atop a box painted as the Nigerian flag. 
with Cruz saying he may be the Intercontinental Champion for life before awarding Aziz the Nigerian Medal of Honor. Biggie cut a promo on video saying he was still going after the Intercontinental title. And then Sami Zayn came out demanding a title shot. Then Kevin Owens' music hit. He chased Zayn down. Biggie came out. They took on the heels. Biggie stood tall. And then Aziz saved Cruz at the end. The whole segment was just messy for me. Then later in the show, Pierce and Deville were arguing again. Pierce set a fatal four-way match for next week, as expected based on the few that we've gotten, and then told Deville never to undermine him in front of wrestlers. Again, a situation where their dynamic is probably a little bit more interesting than this actual feud. But we do have a fatal four-way next week on SmackDown. And the only other thing to say about this, I don't know if you saw Talking Smack, that I do watch every week because Paul Heyman is incredible, but Biggie was on there. And Biggie on Talking Smack to Paul Heyman's face said he was going to win the Intercontinental title back. He was going to keep it all the way until WrestleMania next year. And he would challenge Roman Reigns for the Universal Championship while he was still IC champion. I found it extremely interesting that he did that. It's something that they kind of teased like in December or January after Biggie first won the title. He said he was going to go into WrestleMania challenge reigns. Obviously, they didn't do that, and I didn't expect them to do that. But for him to bring that up again and for Paul Heyman to sell that really, really made me interested in the possibility. So while I didn't love this segment from SmackDown, I was enthralled with Biggie's promo on Talking Smack. Yeah, I did not see that. So you mentioning it there is interesting. I the fact that it's on Talking Smack and these things I know are often unscripted makes me think it's just Biggie putting it out there. Because normally, like if he had said that on SmackDown, I would have said being that specific about something, they're probably gonna get to that. That's a very specific thing to, to bring up and then not do. But perhaps it's just him maybe trying to willing willing it to existence on Oh yeah, you can talk your shit on talking on talking smack. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it is what it is. But yeah, the segment was a little bit weird, but you know, we're getting a fatal four-way awesome match between these guys. This is what this is when SmackDown can do these things right. It, it will have been a week after WrestleMania Backlash. You, 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 this will certainly probably be the ma- probably should be the main event of the show, unless there's another Roman Jimmy thing. But I, I, I think SmackDown has often put the IC title in the main event when you have these types of situations. So comparing that to the women's tag, I get why they saved this one for SmackDown. Uh, so yeah, I'm excited for it. And honestly, I don't know who's going to win. I, I I think there's an interesting case for a lot of these guys and a lot of different directions they could go. So I'm really looking forward to it. I just hope they treat this well and put it in the main event because it's the intercontinental title. It's four wrestlers, three of whom are extremely popular with fans. I, I love the Roman Reigns stuff. I know that they really focus on him and he's, you know, extremely important to their business. You can do Roman Reigns stuff all show. I would make this intercontinental title, Fatal 4-Way, the main event on Friday night, and I wouldn't even think twice about it. Uh, Let's stay with SmackDown. We had Shinsuke Nakamura face King Corbin in a singles match. That's after Corbin pinned him in that, I think it was a 10-man match last week or two weeks ago, whatever the case. Uh, Nakamura cut a promo about only one of two kings surviving the match, referring to himself as the King of Strong Style for the first time in a long time on WWE television. Corbin was about to tap out when he converted an armbar into a pin and beat Nakamura for the second time in as many weeks. Then he slowly put on his crown 
before Nakamura attacked and took it off of him. Uh, he hit Kinshasa. He grabbed the crown that was on the canvas, and then Nakamura raised it, and he was very funny pantomiming that it was very heavy before he put it on his head. Uh, but he put it on his head, and then he w- went backstage. Later, they showed him posing in a mirror with the crown. Now, I don't want to stretch too much here because this could just be a Nakamura and a King Corbin feud. But Corbin has been the king, quote unquote, for way over a year at this point. Maybe we can do the math. I'll do the math while you're talking or something like that. But this to me was a pretty good indication, I think, that King of the Ring may be on its way back. At least at the minimum, I'm going to put that out there into the universe because anyone who has listened to me on this show, on State of Combat, or in this corner, my, his, my history of wrestling podcasting, knows how much I love WWE King of the Ring. I want it as a pay-per-view, but I'm totally fine with them doing it as a special two or three week television series to draw ratings. I do hope that it's both brands if they do it, not just on SmackDown. But to me, this was an indication that King of the Ring is coming back. And by the way, if my memory serves, June has was historically the month for King of the Ring back in the day when it was a pay-per-view. So if all of that kind of lines up, and if I am correct about that, I badly hope that Friday night on SmackDown, with five weeks left into Hell in a Cell, they decide to do a King of the Ring tournament, start one up, with the finals being at Hell in a Cell. That would be fantastic. I did the math. It's been 20 months. 20 months this guy is King Corbin. Get it off of him. September 2019. Get it off him. He's been the king far longer than the entire pandemic. Um, look, look, I mean, I love King of the Ring. I love tournaments. I just talked about earlier on the show to do a number one contender tournament. They're, they're just they're the easiest things to just naturally create storylines and in winners and, and elevate people out of. But Vince McMahon just doesn't like doing that anymore. So, you know, is this going to become a King of the Ring out of these two? I'm going to guess no, because history, recent history. <laughs> um, but I'd love to see it. Corbin versus Nakamura is interesting. It's two guys who we haven't seen together very often. So I, I think they met in a gauntlet match a couple weeks back. So we were starting to see them more. I kind of like how they work together, different styles and stuff like that. So it's fine. My guess is that this is just going to be a feud over the crown. Like just because uh, I, I'd love to be wrong. I'd love to there for I'm be putting more. it in the universe. I, I, I want to be wrong. I hope I sure hope I want so, you to be wrong. I'm just not going to give that. I, and it is SmackDown and, and SmackDown typically gets the benefit of the doubt. Well, that's where they did King of the Ring two years ago. No, it was both. It was Raw and SmackDown. Was it both? I thought it was just SmackDown. Yeah, no, it was, it was both. Okay. They, they got to looking at the poster here. Um, so well, well, the the finals and the the main competitors that mattered were on SmackDown. It was Gable and Shorty Corbin. G and yeah. Baron Corbin. Yeah, time. Gable yeah. and Corbin. So, um, yeah. Oh, I just remember they did a triple threat in the uh, uh, semifinals of that way back when. They Samo- did. Because Samo- Samoa Joe and Ricochet had a draw. Yeah, and it was way, good way back in the day. So, yeah, yeah. no, I, I, hey, I'd love it. I, I, I'm, I'm just I'm not going to hold my breath on the idea that's going to happen until it does. But I sure hope I'm wrong. I hope you're wrong, too. Uh, we'll move on to something that definitely was wrong on Raw. We had Damian Priest against John Morrison in a lumberjack match. Now, this to me, it just had to be trolling. And if it was and if it was on purpose to F with us, then I'm going to give them a break and say that's okay, but I don't know that to be the case. So Morrison's backstage 
And he said, he's like, I can't reach the Miz. And he may never be the same after the attack. Morrison also said he felt like a nagging, rotting feeling from inside, like his brain was getting ruined. But they purposely never used the word, if you notice, zombies at all on Raw. They did not say it one time. At least they explained Miz's absence. But Morrison got eaten also, not as publicly, but he got pulled down behind the barricade. So how the hell is he there looking normal? And why the fuck did they think it was a good idea to not only have Priest continue the feud with Morrison, which clearly should have been over after Mania, but certainly after that dog shit at Backlash. But he's not only fighting Morrison again after beating him a few times. He's doing it in another lumberjack match after the disaster that we had on Sunday. I wasted so much energy on this Sunday. I know you guys really loved my rant. I got your tweets. I got your DMs. Thank you very much. I enjoyed doing it. So I'm not going to give you another one here. I'm just going to move on. We'll talk about the match. But Chris, the positive, if there is one, is at least they explained it and they were a little bit tongue-in-cheek doing so. Yeah, and and they said at the end that they made it clear that Priest is moving on now. So they it did. Was, yes. it, it was it was a it was a I don't know if they didn't like the way it ended Sunday or they could tell people didn't like the way it ended Sunday, but they wanted to make it more definitive. My 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 point coming out of the match on the instant analysis was we weren't talking about Damian Priest coming out of the win. We were talking about zombies. So running it back and doing this this way, we're talking about Priest coming on top at the end of this feud, at least. So uh, what? whatever. I, I, I mean, it's, <laughs> it, it, it's it's over. It's whatever. It's fine. Monday Night Raw, colon, whatever. So Nikki Cross made her first TV appearance in months as the only female lumberjack. Morrison did a bunch of parkour stuff. Priest did a tope cannonball into T-Bar and Mace. That was pretty cool. Then Cedric Alexander was just like, I think he just got really angry seeing Shelton Benjamin across the ring from him. So he randomly dove through the ring to attack Shelton Benjamin outside. Priest then superplexed Morrison off the top rope into about 10 dudes. And then he hit a damn hurricanrana in the ring followed by hit the lights for the clean win. The final three minutes of this match really did pay off the absurdity of doing a second lumberjack match. It was at least very entertaining. Damian Priest has to move on. As you said, he did an interview after the match and it seems like he is finally moving on after beating The Miz and Morrison individually three times each, not counting all of the tag victories during the Bad Bunny feud. As I mentioned earlier, he did suggest possibly challenging Lashley, which is interesting. But Sheamus and the US title is clearly the play for him. And the only other thing to say about this from a match perspective is later backstage, uh, Alexander and Benjamin, they continued their feud and clearly they're going to fight next week, just like with Gulak and Angel Garza, which we'll talk about in a minute. I hope this does not continue for four months um, as I am concerned that it will. But Priest won, got that big moment with the interview post-match and basically said the words, I'm moving on, which is exactly what we wanted from the pay-per-view that we didn't get, as you said. Yes. Yep. Sets it, sets it up, moving on. And then one other thing here, it was reported right before this show that The Miz has torn his ACL. We don't know whether it's a full tear or a partial tear, but I think it came in the match when Priest hit that avalanche roundhouse kick, and I think Miz's leg buckled right after he got hit there. This, in terms of of the Miz, and as far as I can remember, is the first major injury of his entire career. In fact, he cut that promo on Daniel Bryan, the infamous promo on Talking Smack, saying, I work a safe style. 
so I don't get injured. Now, he's probably had concussions and stuff. But as far as a physical injury that's kept him out of action for a long period of time, this is the first one. So it's really unfortunate, I must say. The one thing that I'll say, if, if, if I had to put a bright spot on it, and it's not, I don't, don't want anyone to get injured. But if it had to happen at some point in his career, it's almost better that it happened now that he has a wife and two kids and a reality show where he can stay occupied as opposed to earlier in his career where it may have seriously hurt him building into the star that he became. You know, you lose time when you're younger, you may never get it back. That's the concern that we all have with Keith Lee right now. We're worried that when is this guy going to come back and when he does, are they going to care about him? But with Miz, at least he's fully established and he did run a very long storyline and him and Morrison were a huge part of WWE creative throughout the entire pandemic. So hopefully it's a partial tear. Hopefully he recovers soon and gets back. But I don't know that it's the worst thing in the world for his character to get a break from TV, if that makes sense. Yeah, and and when he's had breaks, whether it's to go film movies or whatever, he's typically come back pretty hot. So he he's had he's never been injured long term, but he's had breaks before. And I, I think he's always been served better for it. Now, tearing an ACL. Right. We, we're not that. sure how serious, how, how big of a tear it is. Um, certainly hope it's not uh, too bad. But uh, yeah, I think it's a good spot to reset his character coming off of the Lashley stuff, coming off of this Bad Bunny and all this other stuff. I think it's 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 fine for his character to take a pause. Just hope he's OK. They've got the reality show still going on, Ms. and Mrs., which I actually watched for the first time after I watched the WWE 24 on Miz, which if you have not watched it, very, good, very, very good. And then they talk about his lack of injuries and stuff like that. And they talk about why he is still wrestling, even though he has all these other things going on. It's very, very John Cena rock esque when it's like, why are you still wrestling? If you have all these other entertainment things going on, it's because he really, he really loves doing this stuff. So uh, certainly hope, uh, hope he gets back soon. Uh, not only is the Miz 24 good, the Damian Priest, I think it's Chronicle is very good. Uh, it tells a lot about his background. It really opens your eyes in terms of what this guy went through before he was even ever Punishment Martinez in Ring of Honor. He went through like depression. He was overweight. Uh, there was a lot of stuff going on with Damian Priest that I did not know. So I, I thought that was really eye-opening. I definitely recommend both of those shows. Uh, there's some others that I have and have not seen we'll talk about before we get out of here later. Before we get to that, though, we have a couple more things to talk about from SmackDown and Raw. AJ Styles fought Elias in a singles match. Styles hit a phenomenal forearm flying outside and no one on commentary called it. He was about to connect on a second one when Jackson Riker pulled him down off the ropes for a DQ. Elias continued attacking Styles until Omos chased him away. This wasn't bad per se, but it was as boring as sin. I just couldn't get excited for anything that happened here. You have seven tag teams on Raw and you're going with Elias and Riker as the title challengers, really? Uh, this was not for me. I'm not excited for this feud. One iota. I think AJ and Omas are perhaps the most entertaining thing on Raw right now. But anything with Elias and Riker just pulls the plug on anything. I was not like they made me not interested in AJ Styles. And that's a problem. Right. So, it's tough. Uh, and it is just it's kind of the way he's been booked. I think Elias has done good things in the past, but this current whatever iteration this is, it's just not good. And, and you know, it's, yeah, just kind of whatever on it, like you said. We also had Angel Garza against Drew Gulak. Gul uh, Garza got 100% of the offense in a total squash match. 
winning with the wing clipper. They could have at least let Gulak get something in. I mean, you want the guy to look like he's competitive. Uh, but Garza then shoved the roan. Rose down Gulak's. There's a lot of re- weird words in this one for me. Garza then shoved the rose down Gulak's throat as promised. And I got million dollar man vibes from that. I don't know if you did. Not that he's anywhere near Ted DiBiase. I'm not saying that. But the idea of him breaking off the flower part of the rose and shoving it into a competitor's mouth post-match, it's a pretty good heel move. And it does kindle the million dollar man shoving a couple hundreds into someone's mouth. I kind of like that. I don't think that would be the worst move for a heel character. No, I, I, I like this. This is now two, three weeks. We've gotten these two. They've set it up. And they've paid it off. And it's been interesting. And a couple weeks ago, I don't know if it was last week, I don't know what time is broken now, but you were getting really upset about Angel Garza and Gulak. And I said, give it a minute. I like what they've done so far. I like what they did here. This should be the end of Garza Gulak. I, I well, that's what I said. I yes. said last week, I'm like, oh my God, we're going to get this. I'm like, it's okay if we get it three weeks in a row, but if we get this six weeks in a row, yes. I'm going to lose my mind. So there's, there's, there's no reason. We can't judge that until next week. We we have to wait a week Uh, and see what happens. Yeah. But there has been no, there's been no, um, there's been nothing bad about it so far. I've actually quite enjoyed it. And suddenly Angel Garza is an interesting character. He's got something. There's something with this character. He's going to take a rose and shove it somewhere. And, and that's not a bad uh, character trait deal. So uh, a gimmick or whatever. So we'll see. But Angel Garza now, after a couple of weeks, suddenly looks like a, you know, a, a competent threat. We want people featured. We want people slowly built. Give him Mansoor next week. Give, give him whoever. Allow this guy to develop out of the lower card or at least be in between the low card and mid card where he's able to have some matches with guys. And yeah, you have him face Sheamus and get beat. That's okay. But first build him up before he gets there. Yeah. Uh, R-Truth and the 24-7 championship are back. Yet they're still feuding with Akira Tozawa, who rolled up R-Truth from behind Another roll-up win for the 24-7 title. Was that four roll-ups on the show? Uh, three roll-ups on the show, plus Jesus. a small package or yeah. an inside cradle, whatever, whichever it was. Uh, so they took a break with the 24-7 title, which was good. Then they bring it back to the identical story that they've been doing for the last like five, six, eight, 10, 15 months. How freaking lazy. Now, I will say on social media, this should have been on TV, but on social media, Tazawa was getting interviewed by, I'm not sure who it was backstage, when Xavier Woods started sneaking up behind him, Tozawa caught him. And then they showed video of Tozawa not just running out of the arena, but like down four blocks of street into the pitch black night. And it was a really funny video. So I do suggest checking that out on social media. But that's the changes and the the tweaks and the funny stuff I want to see on Raw if you're going to keep doing the 24-7 title. I don't want to see the bullshit of our truth. I mean, uh, Akira Tozawa as a ninja sneaks up behind our truth and rolls him up and wins the title. And then next week, our truth wins it back. <laughs> and it's just endless. It's, and just, it's just the same thing. You can do so many things with this championship. Belt. So many you things. Can, you can turn this into the, 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 the iron metal weight championship, whatever that DDT title where like books win it or animals yeah. or like, just like, there's so many things you can do with this title. Why, why, who is who is still interested in Tozawa Truth roll-ups? I just I don't understand it. That that's all I really gotta say. I don't want to I don't want to give any more time to this, but it's just like holy crap, man! This is like it's a layup yeah. to do fun stuff with this, and they can't do it. Like I don't even mind that the title's back if you do something with it. But you imagine bringing back Raw Underground and just 
it's the same thing. And Omos leaves AJ and, and Shane's there. And like, you're just doing it again, right? That's what this was. It was like, just, they brought back a, a thing that sucked and just kept doing it the way it sucked. Hopefully with Tozawa winning it and taking it off our truth, maybe it has a new life. Maybe they're going to do something here. We'll see next week, but I have zero belief that it'll be anything special. Uh, Alistair Black had his third Tales of the Dark Father vignette. This one, there was nothing much to it. The first two, I had something to say. I don't. I know you don't have anything to say, so I'll move on. Uh, Eva Marie once again got two vignettes on one episode. First was a repeat of the photo shoot from last week, and then she got a new one on a movie set. She said she's a star, and her purpose is to show others the way. I, I got to give a shred of credit to them for doing multiple different vignettes for one person because I like when people are introduced, or in this case, reintroduced this way. But I just don't see how this is going to be good. Nevertheless, we got to give it a chance. I'm not going to judge it based on vignettes, but I assume she's going to be a manager. I have no idea who she's going to manage, and I don't know what the purpose of Eva Marie is going to be, but I like the vignettes. I like that they're actually introducing someone or reintroducing someone in this way. Yeah, they're they're fine. It, it, it To me, this is perfectly fine because it's low stakes, low grade. It's not like Alexa cutting the same promo every week. It's not like uh, Alistair Black talking nonsense when you're just wait. Alistair Black, you want to see him do things. You don't want to see him do this kind of stuff. Even Marie, it's fine to do this stuff. Right, exactly. Uh, for the first time I can remember, I just wanted to note on Raw, WWE actually did extended promotions on the show, not during the commercial breaks, for NXT on Tuesday night. They should have been doing this for two years. Yeah. I know that it was Wednesday night and now it's Tuesday night, but this is how you promote NXT. So, they heavily promoted the Johnny Gargano and Bronson Reed uh, match. It's going to be a steel cage match for the North American title. Presumably, there's going to be a title change, which is one of the reasons they're probably promoting it so strong. But I hope this is a new trend, WWE. Promote your shit. You have more, more than Raw and SmackDown. You have 2 million viewers watching on Monday and Friday night, and you have 700,000 watching on Tuesday. You're not going to get 2 million on Tuesday, but you could get one if you actually promote this awesome brand of wrestling that you have. So I'm glad they did that. Um, also wanted to talk about, so have you seen any of the new biographies or treasure shows? I have not seen the Booker T or Shawn Michaels biographies yet, but I have been fully caught up on all the treasures, uh, shows on a, a and a, I have not, I watched one or two of the treasures. Um, and I watched Booker T I've seen all of them. No, I didn't see Macho Man, but I've not, I've not seen Shawn Michaels this week either. Sunday night, obviously we had the pay-per-view at the football game. Haven't gotten to the Shawn Michaels one yet. The the oh. treasure one, I'm I'm not as interested in, but I've I've caught it from time to time. So this is what I'll say. Let's talk about the Booker T and Shawn Michaels documentaries next week. We'll plan it as part of the show. The Sergeant Slaughter treasure show from this week and some of the more recent treasure shows are better than the first couple because they've actually gone into old school wrestling backgrounds. They told the story of Andy Kaufman and Jerry the King Lawler I, I think, saw two weeks ago. One. I saw that one. I liked this that. week, they told the story of Sergeant Slaughter and the Iron Sheik and Bob Ackland mixed in as well. So it was almost like a mini like storyline biography, which are things that WWE should really be doing more of on the network, talking about super old feuds from like the 70s and 80s, not just things from the 90s and 2000s. I really, really enjoyed these. After not liking that show initially, I am now a big fan of that show as well. I think... The A&E stuff, there's some questionable things that happened in the Macho Man documentary. I want to see Booker T and Shawn Michaels. I'm very curious about what the ultimate warrior one is going to be like. And if they treat him yeah. the same way they treated Macho Man, 
Um, but it is something that we should talk about sooner than later. So maybe next week we'll talk Booker T and Shawn Michaels. The week after we'll talk Ultimate Warrior and whatever the new one is after that. Yeah, no, that, that works. I've, I've seen bits and pieces here and there. And now that we don't have a pay-per-view on Sunday, it should be easier to catch up on them. It should be. Uh, but just because we don't have a pay-per-view Sunday does not mean that this is the final episode of the Getting Over Wrestling podcast this week. Nuh-uh, that is not the case. We will be back on Thursday, breaking down everything from NXT and AEW, both brands moving towards big shows. AEW, at the end of the month, will have double or nothing. NXT early next month will have TakeOver in your house. Plus, there's some big title matches up, not just this week on NXT, but coming up next week as well. So NXT and AEW full breakdowns on Thursday. And then as always, we will be back Tuesday next week with our latest WWE episode. A couple reminders before we get out of here. You can follow Chris on Twitter at Chris Vanini. You can follow the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, on Twitter at Silverstein Adam. But more important than both, you need to follow this show on Twitter at Getting Overcast. And it would not be an episode of Getting Over if I did not remind you before getting out of here what this podcast is all about. That means leaving a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts to let people know how much you love the show. It is really the least you can do for us. Help us move up in those rankings. We want to be the top 25 wrestling podcast in the United States of America. So with that, we will close out today's show. But you know what, Chris? There's someone we have not heard from in a long time. So let's allow him to say goodbye. And I thank you all for listening. I've got three words left for you. Bye for now.